So, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We do what's called expository preaching here. We pick a book of the Bible and we go through it one verse at a time. Uh, that way God picks the topics. He picks what we're talking about and, and going through. And sometimes it's pretty amazing what he has picked for us on what day and on, on what week. And so um, Solomon writes a lot of the wisdom literature. He was the wisest man who ever lived. We're in chapter 3, and, and the whole premise of this book, he's an old man, he's lived his life, he's done things that nobody else could do because who else could afford it? You know, who, who could pour their life and, and power and money into it? Here he is a king, he is the wealthiest, he is the wisest, and so he has all these resources to go towards this research, and so he goes through it. His research is, can we find satisfaction? Can man be pleased? Can man have happiness in this world if there is no eternity and if there is no God? Short answer is no. You can't. <laughs> this world, it seems useless, it seems futile, it seems like it has no point unless there is eternity, unless there is a God. And, and so he, he, he's focusing on that. And we're here at chapter 3, um, where he's tried, at the first two chapters, to fulfill life in, in many different areas. He tried it with fun. Maybe the point of life is just to have fun. So he tries that. No, that wasn't it. Maybe it's wisdom to learn. Maybe the point of life is just to learn as much as we can. You can learn as much as you want. You're going to die just like a foolish person who has no understanding. He's like, well, so that's not it. He tried pleasures. He's tried hobbies. Maybe life's just to have a bunch of hobbies. He's tried different achievements. And we talked about some of his achievements that are still on the world today. He did some things that really impacted um, this world. And so we're like, he's like, no, doesn't matter. Doesn't count. It's all still useless. Matter of fact, chapter 2, verse 24, he says, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, it, it was uh, from the hand of God. And so he has to bring up God all of a sudden. He says, I guess the best thing a man should do in this life is try hard, enjoy life, uh, work hard. It's good to work. Rest hard. <laughs> you know, he's just like, try to enjoy what you have, because you only have a few years. and You never know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know, so he says, you know, if you're just going to live on this side of the world, just try to enjoy it. Well, that's not much comfort. It's not much point. You know, it's like to say, well, this is the best as you got. And sometimes that's sad. And I hear people who kind of express that. You know, it's like, well, this is all I've got. I'm just going to live it out. And I'm like, man, there's so much more that's promised to us. You know, the, the life is to live for this world is just short-sighted. But Solomon's also kind of revealing to us through this that God's kind of built that into the system to drive us to him, to make us realize there's not satisfaction in this life that is trying to point us to the Creator, to the one who's made us, to the one who has the answers. He's put desires in our heart that can only be fulfilled in Him or can only be fulfilled in eternity. Uh, it's the classic C.S. Lewis argument. If you ever read any C.S. Lewis, um, he puts things in a nice, pithy, short way. He wrote um, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, those, those books and things. But he also had a, a series of debates in Britain, and he had some different telecasts where he went and he described some things. And, and uh, he, he used one argument about the desires in man that are only satisfied in eternity. And, he, and, and, and the argument that he uses, he goes, a, a duck is born for the desire for water, because there's water. You know, he's born with webs, he floats, he's got it all, you know, he, he knows what to do. You know, he even has the expression, like a duck to water. You, know, you put a duck in water, he knows what to do because he was born with those innate abilities and, those, and designed for water because there is water. A baby is born with a desire for milk 
Because there is mother's milk. There is milk. He wants to suck. They're crying for milk. It's the first thing the baby wants. Feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, there's there because there is such a thing. You know, if not, you know, we have to teach it and train it up. You and I are born with a desire to live forever. To spend eternity somewhere. Then we go to a funeral and we're like, that's wrong. It should not be goodbye. It should not be over. Because there is eternity. And the things that we long for that aren't satisfied in this life are to point us to eternity, to point us to God, to say, that's what my heart is really yearning for. And Acts 17 says it's because he's right there near us. If we would just search after him, feel after him, though he be not far from any one of us. So he does, life is kind of frustrating to drive us to him because there is a satisfaction in that. We are made for eternity because there's a satis- we can only be satisfied in eternity through Jesus Christ. And that's the argument with the duck in the water and the baby with milk. And so this is what he's talking about here in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is probably the most famous section of Ecclesiastes. Mainly because the birds, B-Y-R-D-S, that's a, that's a musical group, the birds sing a song, turn, turn, turn. You know? uh, I will now sing it for you. No, I won't. But, uh, but you know, to everything, there's a season, turn, turn, turn. We know it, you know, a time to laugh. There, my wife's not up here, so I could be stupid. And so, but, you know, you, you have, we know the song, right? You, you can feel it, and you're like, oh, that kind of, yeah, it makes sense. And you kind of sing it, it's got a catchy little tune. It's Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, I mean, it's right there. Um, it's Solomon's reflection on life as a whole. Um, let, let's read it. So we'll, we'll read down to verse 8. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8. So to everything there is a season. Uh, he doesn't say turn, 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 but he says a time to every purpose under heaven. But, but this is what it's based off of. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So, so he covers it all. It's pretty much considered Hebrew poetry. You know, it kind of has that flow to it. It's not rhyming, you know, like we would always think of, you know. But it, it's poetry. It's, it's a deep thought, and he's put it in a juxtaposing kind of way. And the, and the best way I've heard it kind of summed up is fatalism. If you took all this, and if you're going to title this poem, it would be fatalism. And fatalism is, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know, we can't steer it. There is no point. There is no purpose. Whatever comes, that's your lot. That's how it is. You know, case or all, or all, whatever will be, will be. That's it. You know, it's just fatalistically determined. We can't do anything. We're not going to do it. Uh, the biggest religious group in the world of fatalists is Muslims. Um, I, I like movies, and so I think in movies. And so, if you ever saw the movie Hildalgo, you know, it's got the guy you know, from Lord of the Rings who, who's riding this horse, true story, across this desert on this horse. And a lot of them are Muslims because they're racing in the desert and they're doing this way. And if you remember the scene, there's one guy, he falls off his horse and he's stuck in a hole, and he comes by to rescue him, and he's like, Man, it's his wheel that I fall and die in this hole. And then the uh, Hildalgo guy, that's the horse, whatever the other guy's name is. Uh, Boromir. <laughs> I'm missing my movies. But, but he takes his rope and he throws around the guy and pulls him out. And he's like, well, it ain't my will. You know, he pulls him out and he rescues him. If that's fatalism. Fatalism is, well, no need to bother. No need to try. I'm just going to die here. You know, 
where it's kind of more of our American way, because we're based on the judo-American, uh, judo-Christian ethics, is that, no, we fight for life, we push for life, we try to save life, we try to rescue people. This here is more of a feudalism, this is that, that kind of fatalism, sorry, fatalism, not feudalism, that's different. <laughs> fatalism where it's like, eh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, we're not to be fatalistic. But it seems fatalistic, because if you just have life limited to under the, under the sun or just this earth, it does seem kind of pointless. It does seem to kind of see, like, why bother? Things just happen. But if we know that there's more than this life, if we know that there's a God who is out there who's in charge and in control and cares about the affairs of men, all these things could have more meaning and impact. But Solomon's trying to live in himself to not consider that, and so he comes with a fatalistic thing. Well, it just seems like what will happen will happen. Like verse 2. A time to be born and a time to die. It's like, well, that's true. <laughs> there's a time when it's, the baby is to be delivered. And in that same hospital, there's a family mourning over a family member going home. It strikes me that way, probably because I'm a pastor walking through a hospital, knowing that there's somebody excited coming out of a, a delivery delivery room there, and there's somebody else that is weeping and crying, and they're going to leave slowly because they've just said goodbye to a family member. It's just like right there, you know. Two ends of the spectrum. Someone born, someone dying. And the minute you're born, you're actually dying. You're marching towards your death date. We just don't know when it is. You don't live forever. You leave this world. It's been noted by a lot of commentators here that he says a, born, a time to be born and a time to die. He doesn't say a time to live anywhere in here. I feel that way because it's like work, 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 rest for work. I'll go home, rest, work some more, work some more, get two days off, come back to work, you know, work, work, work. You might get a week off, think about work, get back to work. You know, like when do I have time to live? You know, I get home, when I get home, it's like I got to take care of the things at home that have to go on. When do I get to live? It's like I don't have a lot of time for that. You know, so that doesn't, it just seems like work and it seems kind of frustrating. When do I ever get a time to live? That's the fatalistic thing here. There's no time to live, just work. You know, do what you have to do. Just get done what's going to be good done and then work some more. It's also kind of like seasons are, are kind of here. You know, you plant in the spring and you pull up in the fall. That's what he says there next. Uh, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. It's kind of spring and fall in that way. You know, we, we live in an agricultural society. We see that. You know, it's a time to plant. They're getting the fields ready. It's time for harvest. Time to take it in. And they plow it back under. Uh, we understand that. We, we, we see that. And they've got to reset. You know, we've got to turn those things under, let it decompose, and I'll make the ground ready for spring again. You know, we have to have that. Um, Matthew Henry is a Bible commentator who is very verbose. <laughs> I, I, I read Matthew Henry every once in a while. But man, that guy can say something in a thousand words. It's like, break it down. I, I like it in short, pithy sentences. <laughs> but but he, he puts it all in there, but he did have a good thought on this. He said it's, it's like when Solomon's describing it, it's like a spoke of a wheel. And when the spoke's at the top, oh, time to plant. At the bottom, you can see opposite of it, oh, it's going to be a time to harvest. You know, whenever there's summertime, we know that winter's going to come. We're in winter, we're like, we just have to wait. Summer's going to be here as things turn, 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 as the birds would say. You know, as it, as it rolls around, you know, it, it continues on that way. What we're in now, we know that that season's going to come later. At the opposite spoke, is going to be different. If they're laughing now, there's going to be crying some other time. And so I think that sets it pretty well, good. You know, it's like a wheel. It's turning. Uh, it's in that way. When there's a time to plant, there is a time to pluck up. We know that. Things have to come around again. Seasons change, you know, and, and they make way for each other. And so Solomon kind of acknowledges that. Verse 3, he says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Note, he doesn't say murder. That's a violation of God's law. But there is a time to kill. There's a time when you're to protect yourself. You're to protect someone. There's a time when you have to stop an evil. 
You know, we're to put an end to it, and the best way sometimes to put an end to it is to use deadly force. You know, that, that's what is there. We have a sword. We have, we have an agency within our community, the police force, that is that sword. They wield the sword to do that, to go out and stop violence before it gets to that level. You know, usually, you know, a shooter goes someplace where there is no guns because they're cowards. You know, where, hey, here's a place where it's a gun-safe zone, and they go in and shoot them because they are cowards. They don't go storm a police station. You know, they go someplace where they know they're disarmed because they're cowards. You know, but when the police show up, it's done, right? Because they put him down. You know, they stop the, they stop the force. You know, they run to the guns. You know, that, that's something different in you to run to the, where the source is instead of running away. But that's what they're trained to do. You know, that's what they're going to do. That's, that's what their heart is. I remember one of the football coaches, right, down at the school shooting. He was one of the security people. He was one who said he would do that. Did it. You know, as the shooter was going down the hall, he was a bigger guy. He ran to the gun. Kids were able to get behind him, get away for safety. Gave his life to do that. You know, but there's a time to, time to kill. But that's murder. There's a time for war, where war is right. When we go to rescue someone, when we go to pull them out, there's a time to stop the deadly force. There's a time when we are supposed to do that. We are for peace. There's a time when you have to do that. David is a good example. A man after God's own heart. God himself said that. But he also said he was a bloody man. He killed Goliath. Because he was a threat. You're right, and he stopped. He saved a lot of people dying that day by killing Goliath. He went to war. Most of his kingship was in battles. And he's not a king who sat on the throne. When he did, he got in trouble. But most of the time, he was out on the field fighting in that way. And that's why God, you know, his desire was to build God a temple. And God said, no, you're, you're a bloody man. But those things he did were good. You're a man of my own heart. But there was a time to kill and there was a time to heal. Solomon lived during the time during the healing when the nation built up and the nation grew and the nation built fantastic things. Joshua, God's man, fought a lot of battles. Gideon, God's man, fought a lot of battles. There's a time to kill and a time where it's right. There's also time to heal. David is also the man who said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord my God. Heal me. I, I sinned. You know, make me right. There's a time for that. There's a time where it's to stop, and there's a time where it's to, we're, we're to go and help and rescue. Some of those same soldiers who might be fighting one minute would be rescuing somebody the next minute. There's a time and a place, Solomon says. Verse 3, he says, a time to kill, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Sometimes that's that way. Sometimes there's people that are rejoicing. And I think about this, especially when I work downtown, because downtown there's a lot of old buildings, downtown Indianapolis, and then they, they would tear them down, they'd build something new. My building, you know, we moved to Franklin two or three years ago now, time flies, <laughs> two or three years ago now. But where my building was, it was an old Fox movie studio where they stored movie, th movie things. They had a little projection room in there. It was pretty cool, you know, that they would come and people would watch the movies to see if they wanted it. The movie reviewers would review it that way. It was, it was kind of neat. It was old. IUPUI wanted a place for students to go. And they're like, we're tearing down your building and we're building a new one. And now there's a big, fantastic building where I sat for 32 years. You know? and so it's a time to build down and a time to build up. You know? and so it's time, time to change. It was a state-of-the-art facility in 1930-whatever. But now it's a state-of-the-art facility in 2018. You know, things, things move, things change, and so it needs to change. So there's a time to build. There's a time to tear it down. And so things change. Things get old. Things wear out. It's time to make progress. Solomon says, I acknowledge that. Verse 4, he says, time to weep and the time to laugh. You know, there's a time and there's an appropriate time and a place to cry. There's an appropriate, you know, and in that place where the crying's going on, it would be wrong to laugh. We've all known that before. You're like, oh, you, know, don't, you don't laugh here. You don't laugh now. It's a sad time. There's also time when it's time to laugh. You know, and that's part of maturity as you grow and you know when those times are, you know, like what is appropriate for when and where. And, but here Solomon's juxtaposing 
You know, that there are sad times and there are happy times. He also says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's true too, there's a time to be sad. And then there's also a time to celebrate. There is a time to celebrate. We know the morning way too often. There's going to be a time to celebrate, a time to dance. Joy, that's the dance. I remember being in a Sunday school class full of adults, you know, at least 20 or above, and, and a guy was like, I have praise the Lord. I, I got a, a bonus check in the mail I was not expecting. And he says, I pulled it. I was looking through my bills on the way back. You know how you do, you get your mail. He's walking back to the house, digs through Caesar. What's this? Opens it up. Caesar's a check like for $1,000. He said, he goes, I'm like, and I was like, yeah, $1,000. You know, and, he, and he goes in the house to tell his wife. And the preacher's like, we don't dance. I'm like, I dance when I get $1,000, I dance. It's like, yeah, it's an appropriate time to dance. It's like, dancing for joy is right. And I read a lot of commentators are like, whenever there's dancing, there's three involved. You know, the man, the girl, and the devil. And it's like, no, you can dance right. <laughs> you can do it all right. We know when it's wrong, you know when it's right. It's like, no, you, you can dance. We, God allows for joy. Here it is in the Bible. You can go through and look through the Psalms. It talks about dancing. When David brought the ark in, he danced on the way in, and he was right. It was his wife who was wrong, who was embarrassed by him. There's a time to dance. There's a time to be happy. There's a time to celebrate. It is funny, though, those same people are usually against dancing. You know, they'll jump up and down when the Colts score. <laughs> you know, it's like they'll celebrate then. It's like, same, you, you, there's a time for joy. There's a time to be happy. There's a time to have celebration. You know, and it's juxtaposed to what morning here. Verse 5 says, there's a time to cast away stones and gather stones together. I wrestled with that one for a long time. I'm like, I don't know, casting and doing together rocks, but I don't deal with rocks. But I do know, um, father-in-law is a farmer. There's a time, plowing the field, he's like, something keeps throwing my, my plow bottom, tripping it over. Yeah, you go and you get that rock, you get it out of the field. You know, you, you got to get it out of there. There's a time to get those rocks out of there. In Jewish times, if you went into an enemy area and you wanted to, and, and you fought them in battle and you wanted to make sure they didn't come bother you again, you took a load of rocks and you threw it out in the field because then they had to spend all their time getting the rocks back out of the field and they weren't coming fighting you anymore. You know, they had, to, they had to grow food and so they would cast the stones in there and they'd cast them away. Also, there's a time when, you, when you're like, Cleaning up the yard, you know, you got to get all the rocks out of there so you get good, good grass or whatever else you're wanting to do, landscaping. And then there's other times when your wife says, where do those rocks go that we have? I think I'll put them in the corner over there now. And you got to get all those same rocks and you go and you decorate over there. There's a time to cast them away. There's a time to gather them together. And that, that's just how it works. <laughs> so that's, he says it that way. You know, there's a time to get rid of them. There's a time to bring them back. He also says uh, there's a time, where are we at here? Time for embracing. Time to embrace and the time to refrain from embracing. That's true too. This is an appropriate time, you know, to hug someone. There's another time where you're like, this, this isn't right. This is not appropriate. And he says, you have to know that. You have to know what to do. And so, um, know what to get rid of with Roxas, know when, what time to, to hold and, and embrace is right, and what time it's not right. And verse 6 goes on and says, a time to get and a time to lose. Uh, that's called the stock market. <laughs> There's a time when the stock market's going great. It's just win, win, win. It just cracks me up at work. There's guys that will be like, stock market, stock market, stock market. And then they're on the phone calling the guy the next day. What did you do? It's like, nothing always goes up. You've you got to know. It's like, if you're playing the stock market, it's going to go up. It, here's what you, I can guarantee you. It's going to go down. You know, it's just like, it's, it, nothing always goes up. It's, it's rules of science. It's rules of life. What goes up must come down. It's like, nothing just continues to go up. And to think that, you're foolish. You know, so no, you, you hate it when you lose, sure. But... 
It's, it, you never always win. You know, there's a time when it goes up, a time when it goes down. So uh, ask Tom Brady. Ah, there's football. But, you know, but there's a time to, you know, so there's a time when, it, when you, you lose, there's a time when you win. You know, and so he, that, that happens. You know, we got to roll with it. You know, no one always wins. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. That's true, too. Pro, uh, Solomon spent a lot of time in the Proverbs talking about that, about when to hold your tongue. You want to seem wise? Hold your tongue. You know, don't, don't be saying anything. And there's some of the times where he's like, you need to stand up and say something. You, you need to do it. And so you have to kind of weigh that out. And that's called wisdom. You know, there's knowing what time to do what. You know, so we need to keep it together. Um, verse 7 says, a time to rend and a time to sow. Uh, when, in Jewish times, when they were sorrowing or they were repenting, you know, the king would rip his clothes. You know, there's a time to do that, a time to say, we have sinned before you, O God, and they rip their clothes. There's a time when you sew your clothes back up. You know, a time when it's right. Oh, I ripped that. Uh, the best example I can think of for me is like, I try to take care of my clothes. I want them to be nice. I want them to, I want them to last. You know, I don't want to have to keep buying shirts over and over. So I take care of them, keep them, watch them. You know, and I work in a dirty environment, you know, with ink and everything else during the day. So I'm on guard to make sure I don't get my clothes dirty. And I guard and protect them. But then there comes a day when I'm out there ripping them up and I'm going to check my oil with that same shirt that I've guarded and protected for months. You know, there's a time when I guard and protect it and I I keep it. There's a time when I tear it up and I use it for a rag. You know, a time when it wears out. And so he says, you know, there's a time when you have something that's cherished. There's a time when it's time to throw it out. And so, um, yeah, it it, it has its lifespan. It has its time and it wears out. Verse 8 goes on to, well, it says there's a time to love and a time to hate. God even says that. You know, hate's a strong word. We usually don't throw it around, and I hear our kids often say it here at the church. They're like, oh, he said hate. You know, they're going to tell somebody, you're not supposed to hate something, but God hates. In fact, God says there's six things he hates, seven things that are abomination. He says, I hate a proud look. I hate a lying tongue. I hate hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. Whether it's in a school shooting or in a doctor's office killing babies, God says, I'm against that. We're for life. He says, uh, I hate wicked imaginations and those who plan and think on wickedness. In our county, we've had at least two viable threats for schools in that way, thinking, planning, saying that they're going to do that in schools, because I hate that. Running to mischief. God says, I hate people just looking for trouble, running for trouble, looking for trouble. I knew guys like that in school. I hate a false witness, someone who would stand up and lie. I think there's a lot of that going on in our country today, right? false testimonies against everything going on, trying to tear down where they're supposed to be trying to build up and standing behind. I'm sick of it. You know, I'm, I'm sick of it. Uh, there's a time, he also, God also says he hates those who sow discord among the brethren. When a fellowship is trying to get along, wanting to get along, and you got one in there just wanting to stir up trouble and cause trouble, God says, I hate that. A families to be together, a church families to be together. You don't go in there and stir things up. God says, I hate that. He says, I hate it. But there's much that God loves, too, you know, in that way. He loves goodness, he loves kindness, he loves gentleness, mercy, grace. You know, he has, that's who he is, peace, obedience, service, joyfulness, on and on. We could list way much longer all the things that God loves versus the six, seven things that he hates. But he loves us to be good, he loves us to serve him in that way, and he rewards one and he judges the other. We're two, too. There's some things that we need to hate. We, do, we should hate abortion. We should hate that then these crooked criminals who are out there. I was waiting to get new tires on the back of the Jeep yesterday, and the guy was late getting there. And he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, they just arrested a pedophile trying to break into my neighbor's house. He goes, I got a five-year-old girl in Martinsville. I'm like, yeah, I've been over there too. I was like, it's like, I hate that. You know, these guys are out there, and they're living right next door to us because the jails are full. These pedophiles, these predators that are out there, we have to be on guard every second. You know, it's like, yeah, we should hate that. Stand up against that. 
There's things that we should love and reward and rejoice and praise people over too and, and get behind them and tell them when it's a job well done. But he also says there is a time for war and a time for peace. God is for peace. He calls us as Christians, blessed are the peacemakers. We are to seek after peace. He is patient. He is kind. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. But there's a time when he says enough. Um, we call that day Armageddon. You know, he's going to come down. He's going to judge the world. He's going to do that. There's a time for Israel. We're studying in 2 Kings where he's like, I have warned you long enough. It is time for judgment. And he sends them out. And uh, you know, he marks his believers, but he, he judges the rest. And so same for us, though. There's a time when we're like, we seek for peace. We try for peace. But then there's a time when we say, enough's enough. You know, we have to stop this and we have to go. And Christians are for just wars. You know, and so we have to be cautious and we can only, and it's, we just live in a day and age where we're so limited by who to trust and what to trust, but we are for a just war. We should defend the innocent. We should stop an evil oppressor who is, you know, evilly oppressing his people or a bully who's threatening us. And so when to know to do that, I don't envy the president's job on what do we do with North Korea, who says he wants to be a hedgehog with many missiles pointing towards every nation where he could just blow them up. I don't want a crazy guy with his hand on a button like that. But, you know, we also don't want to be preemptively striking with they're never going to do anything and they're just saber-rattling. So I don't, that's not an enviable job, you know, to be in that position. So we should pray for them to make the right choice and to know what to do in the right way in the right time. And so we need to be praying for that. So it's the same for us, too. God's heroes in the Bible weren't pacifists. You know, I don't think we should just be pacifists for pacifists' sake. There is a time... When we have to fight, you know, there's a time we're to seek peace, we're to try to get along, we're to go and we're to have dialogue. Matter of fact, the Bible even talks us how, you know, two or more you go and you keep bringing. And there's some time where you either have to part or there's a time where if it's somebody threatening you, you have to go against them, you know, in that way. And so, you know, we want to reconcile. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says. We want to be those. Verse 8, or sorry, verse 9. He says, uh, what profit hath he that worketh and that wherein he laboreth? So basically, that's his way of summing up all that. He says, it's all kind of pointless. You know, if you're going to, born, if you're going to be born, you're going to die. If you're going to do this, whatever. He's like, well, what's the point? Why do we do what we're doing? You know, if it's going to, we're going to laugh one day, cry the next. If you're going to have peace one day, and you're going to be at war the next. If you're going to be gathering stones together, next time you're throwing them away. He's like, you know, what's the point? That's kind of his, his thing here. Basically, he's like being uh, the Winnie the Pooh guy, Eeyore. Why, oh, bother. You know, why bother? You know, what's going on? He's like, just the Debbie Downer in that way. You know, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. So let's just live our life. It's fatalist. Enjoy what you can. Go on that way is what he's trying to say. You know, why do we bother then? Why do we try? Why do I get up and go to work? Why do we have a family? Why do we try to accomplish anything and set goals? And sometimes we fail and sometimes we succeed. Why do we? To glorify God. We're to glorify God in all that we do. We're to show him as an example. We're to be an example. We're to please him in what we do. We're to hopefully satisfy him and how we do it. Turn with me to Matthew 5. We're nearing the end here, but Matthew 5. Because we don't escape any of this. And it's false doctrine that gets preached out there that if you come to Jesus, you'll have enough money in your bank account forever. You will always have the close parking lot at Walmart. You will always have you know, this, that, and the other thing. You'll never get sick. You'll never be poor. You'll never be back. You always have a new car. You have all that. Hogwash. The Bible says here, what happens to the world happens to you. We go through the same griefs. We go through the same hard times. We go through the same good times as all the other people. And so here we are at Matthew 5, verse 45. He says, uh, that we may be children of your Father which is in heaven. 
For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on the evil and the good. Day comes up for them just like for us. It rains on the just, it rains on the unjust. It rains a blessing in the Bible. It's not like, oh, it rained on my parade. No, it's, it rains, so we're going to have food. We're going we're gonna to live. And so he's like, it rains on them, it rains on you. What do we do with it? Do we do it for ourselves or do we glorify God with it? Why isn't it better one for another? Because God says, I want you to show, I want you to live life as an example. To show what it is to have eternity in your heart where you're learning, where you're living for me. Or living to God's glory to show the lost God's mercy. To show faith in action when the hard time comes and we're at the funeral and we're putting our faith and trust in the one whom we don't see but we've, we've staked our whole life on because he showed us through the scriptures who he is. Because um, there is an eternity. And if we are prepared for that eternity and we trust the one who will save us, then this all has a purpose. That the loved ones aren't lost to us it's until we meet again. We will see them again if they've repented and trusted in Christ. It's not goodbye. It's until we see you later. I love that. Um, that we live our faith out loud. That we're pointing to eternity. That he is using us as an example in the world because we're going through the same things they are. But with faith and with hope and with a purpose and with a drive that they don't have. Because we have someone to lean on. A God who is watching over and protecting us. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 10. 10 and 11 is our last here. 10, he says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. Here, even Solomon, after he studied all this fatalistic stuff, says that in his study of under the sun, that he can't just leave it under the sun, he has to bring up God. He goes, I've seen the travail which God has given. He's like, I understand that God's in charge. You can't go through this life and not realize that there is a higher power. And so, so he acknowledges God is in control. In verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now here's where the King James uh, misses up a little bit. The word there, he says, he set the world in their heart, should be eternity. Uh, I don't know how they got the interpretation of the world, but if you look up the Hebrew word, it's eternity. He has set eternity in their heart, and most of your newer translations have that. So God has put eternity in our heart. What's that mean? God has put inside every person the will to live, and the will not to die. That we want to live forever. That we want to spend eternity in a good place. God has imprinted that on us so that we might seek that out. That we would desire that. That's why we want to live in a world where there is no death. There is no killing. There is no war. There is no breaking down. There is no weeping. There is no casting away. There is no losing. There is no rending things apart. No, those are all wrong. We know they are wrong. We know it's not right when we're in their presence of things being destroyed and torn down and broken apart. We say, that's not right. It's supposed to be something that is better. We want to live happily ever after. We want to ride off and have the castle and live with the loved ones forever. That's what we want because that's the desire that is imprinted on our heart by a holy God. He says, now seek that out because you'll find it in me. He's put that on all of us to draw us to him so that we would desire him, that we would be pulled to him. God's timing is perfect. He talks about everything is beautiful in its time there. Steering men to him to make them long for eternity, to long for life where things are right, where things last, where things aren't destroyed, when things don't get broken or stolen or lost. A happy place where good is there and not evil. And he makes us long for more. More than this world. So the conclusion is that Solomon comes to, yes, there is eternity and yes, there is God. And God has put it there that we can't just live under the sun. He wants us to draw us to his son, S-O-N, the Redeemer, 
the healer, the one who's the rescuer, the one who could take all these negatives and turn them into a positive, the life giver. And he wants to use this turning time, the wheel that we talked about that turns, turns, turns. And he says, you as Christians, as you go through these things, know that you are a living example to the lost and dying world of what faith is to look like. And also as we go through the turn, turn, turn of born and death and living and dying and war and peace and killing and healing, that they want to see how we react. What do we do? And we can't be just a, I'm no reaction here. We have to react. And we have to point to Him. And we're to use these times as springboards for opportunity to point Him to the gospel of Christ. To say, God is using this. You aren't, you're right. Death is wrong. Here's the answer. Life. Life in Jesus Christ. If you repent of your sins and trust in Him, you too can have life everlasting. It is wrong. We should stand it up. Yes, there is moral absolutes. There is a right and a wrong. There is a good and a bad. There are things that we should fight for. There's things we should not tolerate. And we should stand up for those. And we should give them that way and be that example and point them to Him. Because that's why we're here, to be that example. That's why it rains on the just and the unjust. That's why we go through the same things to show them life and faith in action. And so Solomon drives that for us, and that helps to better equip us you know, through his search here. And so I hope we do that. If you're frustrated with all this, you know, and you don't know him as Savior, that would be frustrating to think that all this doesn't matter. There is a point, and we're living for him. He says, I will make everything work out, uh, everything work out to the good for those who are the called according to his purpose. He will use it all to that. He'll make it last, and we know that we have eternity with him. I look forward to a rest. I work, work, work now. One day, I'll rest for eternity in Him. It's called a place of rest, and His reward is with us. And so we're to long for it and look forward to it. But we're to witness about Jesus Christ here and now and be that example as we go through this life. He's not, we're not exempt from it. Matter of fact, we read in the prayer of Jesus last week where He says, Lord, I've not asked you to take them out of the world, but leave them in the world so that they could reach the lost. We are here to reach the lost, and I pray that we're doing so. Let's close in prayer.